0: Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a 100 different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Were prohibited by and T-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit Cox.com Internet for details.
1: From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell and West. That's Chamberlain. He's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Johnson is on there celebrating. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It was all over. The off. have won. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest, a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum. It's his second time on the program. He is a great follow on Twitter. You can follow him there at Blazers by Sagar, and that Sagar is spelled S-A-G-A-R. He also works on the website Early Bird Rights uh, with Jeff Siegel, and uh, they do some cap, cap sheets, and uh, Sagar specifically does some some draft content on there. So check that out. But uh, Sagar Tricka, Sagar, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Now uh, we're uh, we're gonna discuss uh, everything that happened. On uh, on All Star Weekend, and then uh, towards the end of the show, Sager, a big uh, a big Blazers fans, if if you couldn't uh, if you couldn't figure that out by his Twitter handle, uh, so we're gonna talk a little bit uh, about the uh, the race for eighth in the West uh, with about uh, you know twenty five to thirty games left in the season, uh, but first Sager, let's uh, let's get into the action on All Star Weekend and and what an All Star Weekend it was in Chicago, and uh, it opened up on on Friday night. Uh, the the rising stars game a game that uh, you know doesn't have necessarily a lot of intensity and a lot of defense but it's uh, certainly a, a fun event and there were plenty of uh, a plenty of young talents to to take a look at. It was really fun. I usually don't
2: watch that, uh, but this year I did, and it was surprisingly entertaining, even though the game wasn't very
1: close. Yeah, and you know I, I feel like a lot of years. You don't even see some of the, the biggest guys, especially the guys that are actually playing in the All-Star game, also playing in this, but pretty much everyone did. You know, your, your Luka Doncic, your Trey Young, uh, those guys were able to uh, to compete on uh, on both Sunday and on Friday, so that was good to see. And also getting to see the uh, the, the majesty and the uh, elite athleticism of Zion is, is always fun. That is a freak. <laughs> yes, he is. At the end of the game I enjoyed because basically it was a, a Zion dunking competition. He, he wasn't able to actually convert on any of the dunks, but a lot of the attempts were were uh, quite ambitious. Yeah, I enjoyed that the the last, you know, two or three minutes kind of just cleared out and let players go for uh, fancy dunks. Yeah, it's uh that was pretty fun. You could tell the crowd was really getting into that sort of thing and and, uh, yeah, there, there were quite a few notable uh, highlights throughout the game. Shea Gilgis-Alexander had a really nice dribble move where he, uh, he, he went between his legs and split a couple of defenders. Uh, I also found it funny that Luka Doncic, even in a format where no one's playing defense, he's still manipulating defenders, faking lobs, and then throwing it in the corner for open threes. It's just hard for him, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So yeah, were there were there any players in particular that uh, that, that impressed you? Uh, of course, Miles Bridges did win the uh, the MVP. I I was high on
2: Bridges coming out of the draft uh, a couple of years ago, and unfortunately, he hasn't done that much with uh, his team in Charlotte. So it was fun to see him actually get some run um, and look good um, on Friday night.
1: Yeah, he had a a crazy play where he threw an alley oop to himself off the backboard uh, and and caught it with his right hand, which he's normally you know he's naturally a left hander, so that is uh, that was quite impressive. And yeah, he he won MVP in 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 large part due to he was on the floor when his team went on a, a big run in the third quarter to kind of to seal the game. But uh, yeah. Uh, you know, this was this is kind of the to me the, the least interesting aspect of uh, of the All Star Weekend. So I figure we can just kind of move on to to some of the stuff that, that and there's a lot of not only entertaining stuff on, on Saturday and Sunday but a lot of controversy as well. But uh, let's start with the uh, the first event on uh, on Saturday and that was the Skills Challenge. And, of course, Sager, the last few years, they've, they've made it a sort of a, a guards versus a bigs competition. They went away from that a little bit, although they did still have uh, plenty of bigs out there, and the bigs seemed to dominate the event. I was surprising. I didn't expect that at all. Uh, but the bigs looked great. They were
2: passing well. They were in the passes that the guards formed.
1: Yeah, uh, you had uh, you had Demontis Sabonis, you had Bam Adebayo, and and they even considered the likes of Jason Tatum and Chris Middleton bigs, quote unquote bigs, but they're they're really not. But uh, yeah, it 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 really does come down to that to that three point shot at the end, and I find it interesting. You know, they call it a skills challenge, but uh, you know, I think they even took away if. Correct me if I'm mistaken, I think they even took away one of the passes. It used to be you had to make a chest pass and a bounce pass. Am I right? That
2: sounds familiar, yeah.
1: And it's weird to me that they would they would take that away because, you know, when you're talking about skills, I think the bounce pass is a harder a harder pass to execute than a simple chest pass is. I would agree. I think
2: that the, uh, it's more physically challenging. More uh, yeah, I guess
1: it's a it's uh, tougher technique. Right, yeah, and, you know, the chest pass, you can almost kind of just, you can loop it or you can finesse it, whereas I feel like the bounce pass, you can't just, uh, you can't really force it. You've got to be really precise with the location of the bounce. But, yeah, it, it really does come down to the to the three-pointer, and, and surprisingly, Bam Adebayo, even though, uh, you know, he's not known for his three-point shot, was able to hit quite a few. I found it fitting that Bam
2: Adebayo showed up in that, in that event. Uh,
1: just the weekend after Zach Lowe for ESPN got a big uh, feature on him. Yeah, and uh, you know he's been he's been really great. A big reason why Miami has had such a, a spectacular season thus far, and and he is one of multiple players for the Miami Heat. We'll get to the other guy that uh, was able to hold up a trophy at the end uh, of the night. But uh, let's move on now to the to the three point contest, and one of the things that. Uh, that they added this year was the Mountain Dew three-point shot, the Dew Zone from 30 feet, and you know each player got uh, had to take two of those shots, and they added 10 seconds onto the the time that the players had to complete the the entire all uh, I believe it's seven racks now. But uh, what do you think of the additions of the uh, the Mountain Dew Dew Zone shots?
2: I was mildly impressed by it. I, uh, I didn't think going into it that they needed to change if I of all. Uh, but seeing how players are starting to shoot more uh, from that far deep with you know, Dan Willard, Steph curry when he's healthy, Trey down even, uh, it just shows the direction the game is going, and I thought it worked pretty well.
1: Yeah, you had multiple guys able to, to knock him down. I think Davis Bertans made him look pretty effortless, uh, Devin Booker as well. Um, and and yeah, when I when I initially heard the the measurements, you know, of course the the corner threes are, are 22 feet. The the above the break threes are 23.9, and and these do zone shots were 30 or, or 29.9 to be exact. Uh, you know, I when when I initially heard heard that number, I thought, wow, that seems a, a little bit too far. But but yeah, as you were stating, you know, the the game has evolved so much that 30 footers are. You know, it's a pretty comfortable shot for just about everybody, especially those competing in that competition.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, you couldn't see guys like Dean Miller who take those on a consistent basis uh, due to his injury, but seeing guys like Devin Booker, Trey Young, uh, take those shots in-game, uh, it makes sense that this is the next evolution of the contest.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I would I would like to see them add in the future, you know, I, I think this is a, a good addition at... Uh, you know, breathes new life into it. You know, it, uh, not that it's, it had gotten stale. I mean, I, I think the three-point contest is, is my favorite event. It, it has been for, for quite a while. But it is nice to, to add a new element to something. And I, I would like to see them even expand and, and maybe even add an off-the-dribble shot as well. What do you think of that? It's
2: an interesting idea. I considered that. Um, I agree that the three-point contest, it's a brand new for a couple of years now as well, in that it's always consistent. It's always entertaining. Um, the changes didn't really affect that at all, um, which I'm happy about. I'd be interested. I'd be interested to see that kind of off the dribble kind of shot that you were suggesting.
1: Yeah, and and speaking of uh, of Damian Lillard, who you follow pretty consistently, uh, you know, yeah, he. I think he would not only do well with those those thirty footers, but also those off the bounce uh, attempts. But yeah, the uh, the the contest was really great. You know, we had. Uh, eight contestants starting, and we had a bunch of guys really light it up. You had uh, Buddy Healed with 27 in the first round. You had Devin Booker with 27, hitting both of those Mountain Dew shots. Davis Bertans finished with 26. And since they whittle it from eight contestants down to three after round one, uh, Zach Levine, who finished with an impressive 23, and of course was the hometown player from Chicago, uh, was was eliminated and not able to make it to the finals. I was a little disappointed. You know, I, I think it's, uh, again, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, in the past they've actually had three rounds of it, and they've recently, in the last couple of years, brought it down to two rounds. So then instead of going to four participants in round two, they, they just go straight to a final round and, and cut it down to three. I don't remember it being three rounds, but maybe I'm just forgetting. Uh I would have enjoyed an extra round just to uh, to get more shots up because I enjoy it. Right. Uh, but I figured that the way it went, it seemed pretty smooth and seamless. Yeah, um, and you know the other thing I would like about you know if if they were to add a third round, I also like the idea of players having to deal with a little bit of fatigue with you know having put up so many jump shots. I think it would be fun to see you know how those guys react to. You know, their arms getting a little, feeling a little heavy and that sort of thing. I think that would be a fun element. But also, again, I think it's it's tough when a guy like Zach Levine gets eliminated in round one just because you had three guys that went absolutely nuts. Yeah, but, you know, that's
2: how the game goes sometimes. Sometimes
1: players get hot. Yeah. Um, so in the finals, we had a a, a really great final round. Davis Bertans went first and, and he finished with 22, you know, a respectable number, but it seemed like that wasn't going to be good enough given how all the all three guys performed in the first round, and uh, that ended up being true. We had uh, Devin Booker go second in that final round and he put up 26. Uh, he um, he actually missed a couple on the final rack. He could have gone to 28 or even 30. But uh, finished with 26, and that set it up for Buddy Heald, who had a really great finish. And uh, actually, the the contest came down to the last shot with Heald hitting his uh, his final attempt to win the competition. I don't think in all years
2: I've watched this event that it's come down to the last shot. And that it did this year was incredibly exciting. I
1: loved it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really fun. And, and yeah, not only the... The fact that it came right down to the wire, but it also it was, uh, you know, two really impressive scores to, to finish the night. Um, so before we get into the, the final event, the the main event of All-Star Saturday Night, which is the Dunk Contest, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts in terms of um, whether there are enough just having the three events, the Skills Challenge, the Three-Point Contest, and the Dunk Contest. Is that enough for you, or would you prefer a fourth event, of course, back in uh, 2016 and prior they had a, a shooting stars competition where they had you know a lot of former NBA players and WNBA players go out there and shoot of course a lot of people have talked about maybe incorporating some sort of a horse competition or a or even a one-on-one competition do you like where it is currently with those three events or would you like to see something else added to the uh, the Saturday night festivities I hear
2: that at the time but now that's gone. I really, really enjoyed the uh, the Shooting Stars challenge. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That was a lot of fun, and bringing that back, I think, would be a great idea. Uh, the idea of a one-on-one challenge, uh, like a tournament almost, uh, would be incredibly entertaining. I think, and would draw great ratings. I assume. Uh, I open to any changes,
1: really. Yeah, the 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 challenge with the one-on-one would be, you know, getting guy's commitment to it, but I imagine if you you could even get the the best crop of non-All-Stars, I'm thinking somebody like Lou Williams would be perfect for that that sort of a competition. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I think, uh, uh, I agree with you. I enjoyed the shooting stars. Not even necessarily because the event was that entertaining, but it was just fun to see the people that were participating in it. I agree. I think that
2: having those retired NBA players come back and shoot it was teams of three with the retired players, the current active player, and a WNBA player, right? Yes. I think that that kind of uh, that teamwork uh, lent itself to a lot of fun. And obviously the half-court shot attempts at the end um, were always, for me at least, a blast to watch.
1: Right. Yeah, it was just a... Uh, I remember them like uh, those, uh, those competitors actually being pretty decent at those half-court shots. It didn't take them long. Uh, To uh, to fire one in, but yeah, it it is good to. uh, I think it's just a fun way to bring back some legends of the game, and also to put a spotlight on the WNBA as well. Uh, It would be neat if it doesn't necessarily have to come back in the same way, but even a a horse competition with with some of those legends and some WNBA players, I think would be would be a lot of fun. Um, But yeah, let's let's move on to the dunk contest, of course. This was, uh, again, the, this is the, the highlight of the Saturday night for, for most people, and they delivered. They brought out, a, uh, you know, bringing back Aaron Gordon, a guy that put on a show back in the 2016 competition, Derek Jones Jr., of course, a, a high flyer for the Miami Heat, uh, bringing back, uh, you know, the Dwight Howard, even though he's getting up there in age and not quite as athletic. It was fun to see him out there again. And, uh, even a guy like Pat Connaughton, I thought, you know, um, the, there, there was all that talk about him having a 44-inch vertical at the Combine, and I think that, that, uh, that info is dubious. I think they screwed something up at the Combine, but still, he is a, he is a good jumper. Uh, but yeah, I imagine you enjoyed the, the dunk contest as much as I did. I loved
2: it. It was a great show. I thought that, for the most part, all the dunks were really impressive, and I thought that, uh, those four
1: guys on a great show. Yeah, so let's let's actually get into uh, you know, what happened and if you're listening to this, I I assume you you know the the end results and the fact that uh, Derek Jones Jr. ended up winning the competition. Uh, it was a uh, very controversial winning it over Aaron Gordon. Of course, Gordon uh, you know, in the, first, uh, in the first round, both of his dunks were 50. Jones actually had a 46 in the first round. And the scores are not cumulative, even though Aaron Gordon, I believe, argued that it should be. And, and uh, I tend to agree with him. Um, the, uh, the, the final round with Jones Jr. and Gordon was, was really terrific. Both guys brought out a bunch of terrific dunks. Uh, for me, the highlight of the night, the best dunk of the night, was Aaron Gordon's 360 off the side of the backboard. Uh, what, what was your favorite dunk, Sagar?
2: Honestly, probably that. I thought that that was something I hadn't seen before. That I could, like, I'm a fairly new fan uh, less than 10 years. I hadn't seen anything like that before. And so that was incredible to see.
1: Yeah, it... Uh... It was really impressive, and then, you know, Derek Jones Jr. had a couple of uh, amazing dunks as well. He had one where it was off the backboard, and he went between the legs jumping over a guy. Uh, he had another one that uh, Kenny the Jet Smith termed the the uh, reverse tornado, I believe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they both really uh, really did incredibly well. But then the the, the final dunks that uh, that ended up determining the competition... Jones Jr. ended up doing a, uh, basically a windmill from one step inside the free throw line and got a 48. So a couple of people, a couple of the judges ended up giving him a nine. And then Aaron Gordon goes out there and he sees Taco Fall, who is seven foot five inches tall in the crowd. He brings him out and jumps over Taco Fall and gets a 47. I don't know about you, but uh, I was pretty furious over that decision. I, uh, I am definitely in the camp of Aaron Gordon got robbed. I am with you. I, I think that
2: it's interesting because with the, the Gordon duck, he originally wanted to duck over Shraff, uh, but Shraff turned him down. So his backup plan then became Taco Fomo. And to have your backup plan be a couple of inches
1: bigger than Shraff is bold. <laughs> yes. And so that he pulled that off. I thought deserves more credit yeah um, people are complaining and, and suggesting online that he didn't clear taco fall and and let me first off just say that even if you don't fully clear a seven foot five guy even if you're clearing just seven feet, that's still incredibly impressive. And uh, secondly you know and, and you saw this on the first dunk uh, actually by Derek Jones Jr. his birthday cake dunk where he jumped over bam Adebayo. Um, most guys, when they're jumping over a tall human being, they'll, as they're jumping, they'll use their arm to push down on the guy's shoulder to get extra elevation. And you saw Jones Jr. do that. Aaron Gordon didn't do that at all. He didn't use any sort of a push off whatsoever. He, he cleared at the very least, uh, Taco Falls shoulders. And in, in my opinion, most of the contact that uh, Aaron Gordon made on Taco was uh, Taco's hands that he had, you know, because he was holding the ball over his head. Yeah. I think that it also
2: uh, speaks to the fact that, you New know, Gordon, or he didn't use Taco to push off of. Also that this was completely improvised. This was not planned. I don't think that Gordon practiced jumping
1: over 7-5. Right. And so that he could do it.
2: On his, second, on his first drive, or second drive, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was
1: incredibly impressive. Yeah, um, and there's there's a lot of controversy over the fact that Dwayne Wade uh, ended up giving him a 9 on that dunk, and again, three judges gave him a 9, and uh, Wade, of course, uh, and you could hear this as he was announcing the three-point contest, surely sh- was favoring his uh, his Miami Heat brethren, of course, just retired last year, longtime member of the Heat. He was rooting for Duncan Robinson in the three-point contest. He clearly wanted Derek Jones Jr. to win in uh, yeah. in the dunk contest, and he ended up being the uh, basically the decisive vote to determine that uh, Aaron Gordon lost and is going to go down as maybe one of the greatest dunkers in the competition ever, but will have no trophy to show for it. I
2: think that following night, following the night's events, um, ESPN's Ron Shelburne reported on, uh, what happened with the judging panel, and the rapper and activist Common said that the plan was to make him have a forty eight as well, so that they tied and went to a final, like, judge's choice. Yes. And my, my belief, it's not proven, obviously, is that uh, Dwayne Wade went off script and docked a point to give Derek Jones the win. Um, uh, I think, on principle, the idea of making it a tie just so they could vote at the end was flawed. Yeah. So they should have voted for the. They should have scored Gordon's duck based on the dunk
1: itself. Exactly. Uh, that's that's a really good point. Yeah. Going into the final round and just deciding that it was going to be a tie. Yeah. I I agree with you. That's a flawed line of thinking. Uh, I I do agree though. You know, as uh Eric Gordon was saying, you know, after he had gotten like his sixth consecutive 50, he just wanted to wanted it to be over. You know, he's like there's no reason I should continue to be competing. I think, you know, if if the uh if the final round is tied after a certain amount of dunks, why not let the tiebreaker just be how they performed in in round 1? I think that's
2: fair. I think that that I, I I get that point of view. I think that the and also, robbed of the chance to get the character Memphis dunk off that we had between Gordon and Zach Levine. I think that that went, I want
1: to say, nine rounds, maybe a little bit less. Uh, and we wouldn't get that if we put a limit on it. It's true. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, obviously, yeah, the the more dunks in, in this situation, most likely, most of the time is better. But, uh, yeah, I also, you, you know, just feel so much for Aaron Gordon. And especially, as you were saying, that, you know, you most of these guys go in with probably five or six dunks prepared. But, like, once you get past that and you're just kind of having to figure stuff out out on the fly, uh, you know, things can get a little tricky. But uh, how how would you go about, um, you know, changing sort of and an, an improving this uh, judging panel for, for the dunk contest? Would you, you know, obviously the fact that you had Chadwick Boseman, who is not a, uh, you know, a basketball player, out there, as a, as a judge, you know, I, I heard uh, on on Twitter, I saw Dave DeFore basically said judges should only be guys that have been defending champions in the past, which uh, I agree with to a certain extent, but also that would prevent Aaron Gordon from being a judge. How would you go about, you know, selecting the judges, and do you think there's there's an is- that's an issue that the NBA has to address? I think it is. I don't have any
2: solid fixes. Um, I thought that the idea of having a WNBA player in Candace Parker this time was very smart just because...
1: She had some great reactions to some of the dunks as well.
2: <laughs> she did. And I think that because there's no sort of... As far as we're aware of any sort of bias, uh, from her perspective, that made it... I think her judging was, to me, more fair than a guy like Dwayne Wade, who obviously had a strong bias.
1: Right, that, that to me is the biggest thing. I mean, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't let guys like Chadwick Boseman be judges in a dunk contest, for, for one, but I also wouldn't let guys like Dwayne Wade that clearly have, a yeah, as you said, a bias towards a certain competitor that he should not be competing. And it was funny, even uh, when, when Aaron Gordon completed that 360 dunk off the side of the backboard, Dwayne Wade actually said, I'm not going to be the one to screw this up. <laughs> and uh, he did exactly that. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think that Gordon deserved the win,
2: and that he didn't get it, and is now seemingly intent on not competing again because he's been robbed of two, two two trophies. Is as a fan, unfortunate, just because I want to see him dunk more, and that he's not going to is sad.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree, but I also completely understand from his perspective, you know. Uh, oh, for sure. And uh, obviously, as he gets older, it's going to be, as we saw from Dwight Howard, who, you know, I don't want to say put on a bad performance. He I thought he, he was okay, uh, but uh, as you get older, the, the, uh, the vertical leap uh, gets worse, and uh, Gordon is yeah. probably never going to jump as high as he does uh, right now, um, yeah. but... But yeah, the the other thing I wanted to ask you too and and the other issue I've had with the dunk contest and and in particular the judging of the dunk contest is the fact that uh, they basically stick to just numbers 6 through 10 uh, as far as what what a dunk can actually get. You know, there was, uh, I think even last year, there was a guy that missed all of his dunks and everyone still just gave him 6s. And it's like, you know... Straight up, not converting on a dunk should be a zero, if you ask me. Um, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, by, by basically saying even a missed dunk is a sixth, you're limiting all dunks to just one of seven, eight, nine, or ten, one of four numbers. And that makes it so that, as we saw even uh, even in uh, on Sunday, that you had dunks of vastly different quality getting the same number. Yeah, I think that with this limited scoring scale from
2: 6 to 10 per judge, you can have a guy in the first round miss a duck completely, get 30, and then get 50 on his next duck, and still beat a guy that scored a 45, or a 40, excuse me, on two straight dunks. And I think that that's not right or
1: fair. Exactly. Yeah, they, they should do something and, and if they're gonna do if they're gonna stick to the six through ten formula they should add, you know, even .5s and, and allow them to give a dunk a nine point five or an eight point five. I think uh, you know the, the more variability you can give these judges the better. And again I think the more consistency you can get with the same judges coming back multiple times and also making sure that these judges know what the heck they're they're even looking at. Would would be important, but, but yeah, I, I'm glad you're in agreement that uh, that Aaron Gordon should be a two-time dunk champion. Uh, it's uh, it's it's disappointing, but uh, I guess there's there's worse things happening in the world than a guy unfairly losing a dunk contest. Uh, so let's let's move on to uh, to the uh, the main event of the weekend, which is the All Star game on Sunday night. Team LeBron versus Team Giannis. And uh, the event got kickstarted with uh, Magic Johnson giving a speech and and uh, talking about both David Stern and uh, and Kobe Bryant. Then we had a, a Jennifer Hudson Kobe sort of tribute song, uh, and 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 then even Common came on and, and did an extensive rap about the city of Chicago, and then did some some uh, introductions, and even did some rhymes with the introductions. What did you think about uh, all the festivities even prior to the game taking place? I thought
2: overall it was impressive. I thought that Magic gave a good uh, short speech on both Harry Bryant and David Stern uh, and their passing over the last uh, month or two. Uh, uh, Jennifer Hudson was incredible, as she is, and though I thought that Common's uh, extensive like spoken gospel or speech or rap or whatever it was, on Chicago got to be a little bit excessive or a bit too long. I thought that it was very well done.
1: Yeah, I agree. You could tell that he he put a lot of time and, and heart into that. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of guys that they get the call from the NBA and say, "Hey, perform, uh, perform for us." They uh, they don't uh, take it as seriously. So I appreciate that from comment. And yeah, I thought a lot of it was. Was really fun and, and yeah even the introductions I was getting a kick out of how he was gonna rhyme all the uh, NBA player names and and uh, as soon as he started my first thought was how's he gonna rhyme uh, Kumpo? and uh, he ended up just saying I- I'm not even gonna try I yeah uh, the uh, but yeah he had some he had some he had some fun ones and then uh, so let's let's get to the actual game and of course the the NBA changed the uh, the All Star format not only in part due to Kobe Bryant's passing, but also to uh, add a uh, more of a charity element to the game. Um, Both Team LeBron and Team Giannis had a dedicated charity, and they actually had the kids uh, out there, uh, you know, basically with with courtside seats, and you could hear them cheering for their respective teams as the game went on. Uh, But uh, basically how the format worked is you had scoring for each quarter, and the team that won the respective quarter out of the first three ended up getting a uh, $100,000 to contribute to that charity. So what do you think of the uh, the overall change of format? I, uh, I enjoyed it. I thought that it was very
2: uh, interesting to get a change of pace, and I thought that it seemed to motivate the players to try more throughout the entire game, not just the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was especially fun. You saw that at the end of the third quarter, the teams really started to take it seriously when they realized that that, uh, that charity money was on the line. The issue I had, though, is because the third quarter ended up being a tie, uh, they didn't then, my, my uh, thought, the, the most logical conclusion for me with, with a tie would be just split up that hundred grand and give each 50000 but they didn't do that.
2: That seemed like the most intuitive, logical uh, solution, and that they didn't do that was a bit
1: disappointing to me. Yeah, um, it, uh, it seems like just an out to, to not have to give up as much money, which uh, the NBA has plenty of. Uh, but uh, you're right, though, that the uh, whether it was the, the change in format, which was in the fourth quarter, of course, there was the, uh, you know, target number that a team had to get to so basically the the combined score at the end of three quarters they added 24 to the the winning team score and that was the target number what did you think was more a a reason why we saw such a competitive fourth quarter do you think it was more because of the charities and you know because the kids being in the building or or was it more that that target total that the teams uh, realized, okay, we we can't allow 24 points, and if we play typical all-star defense, the team will get to 24 pretty quick?
2: I think both in some sort of combination. I think that in the fourth quarter, because these guys are competitors, they are at, at the highest level, there's that drive to win, obviously. And I think that, that certainly played a part. But I think this year you saw guys doing things that you wouldn't see normally in an all-star game, like Kyle Lowry multiple charges for example
1: yes <laughs> and i think that that might have
2: been a function of so much online for the charities
1: yeah um whatever the reason i i loved it that fourth quarter was was really fun to watch i actually watched it a second time right before we started recording this so i have plenty of notes on uh, sort of the the key plays of that fourth quarter but i wanted to talk a, about a few of the highlights in the first three quarters and uh, there there was uh there was quite a few in, in terms of dunks coming from surprising players. CP3 had an alley-oop dunk.
2: Yeah, it was off the pass for I think, Westbrook, right? Yes. I think that that's interesting given they were traded
1: for other last summer. Yep, and, you know, I, I think uh, basically LeBron was asked after the game and uh, he said, yeah, that surprised all of us. <laughs> and uh, Devin Booker even had a tip dunk that was really impressive. Gobert had had quite a few moments in that third quarter, but uh, it was fun to see. You know, I think that's that's what's really great about these All-Star games is not only do you get the great play from from the guys that you would expect, but some guys kind of come out of nowhere and and have a highlight here or there that uh, that really put a smile on your face.
2: For sure, I thought that Gobert in particular played a lot better than I thought he would in this kind of format. I didn't think that his game was conducive to this kind of like
1: showy all-star game, but he looked pretty good to me. Yeah, I think again, uh, some guys really benefited from the fact that this was played at, uh, especially that uh, you know the second half played at more of a actual basketball game type of uh, intensity. Gobert was able to kind of lurk along the baseline in the dunker spot and and uh, was able to to get a quite a few little dump off passes and finish, but let's uh, let's move to to the, the fourth quarter because it was such a, uh, a terrific quarter of basketball the, uh, the the interesting thing to me right out of the gates was you know of course you had your, your starting lineup selected uh, by a combination of the fans and the coaches and the media and uh, so the, the the curious thing would be, okay, what what do these teams, uh, what are these sort of, what are the crunch time lineups for for both Team LeBron and Team Giannis? It ended up being four of the five starters for both teams ended up being out there when it mattered, but for Team LeBron, you had Chris Paul playing over Luka Doncic, and for Team Giannis, you had Kyle Lowry playing over Trey Young. I think that, that's a very interesting
2: uh, notice that you pointed out. I think that because these coaches, Nick Nurse and Frank Vogel, have been around the NBA in some capacity for a very long time now, that they may or may not be of that more old school mentality of both Trey Young and Luka Doncic being second year players, first year all stars, and this idea of having to almost earn that spot in crunch time. Yes. I think that probably played some sort of role.
1: Yeah, and, and I thought, for the most part, uh, Chris Paul, I think, was was absolutely terrific. He was uh, in the short list for, for MVP, but uh, Kyle Lowry also, as you stated, uh, got in there and took a couple charges, made some big plays. Uh, but, uh, you know, the there was a lot of talk, and, and, and I mentioned this as well, that Giannis didn't do a very good job in the actual All-Star draft, you know, selecting the likes of, of Joel Embiid ahead of Kawhi Leonard, which Kawhi ended up winning the MVP, but then also selecting Kemba Walker over the likes of James Harden. And Walker, to me, was the guy that looked uh, the most out of place, uh, You know, the most uncomfortable in that fourth quarter. He had a, a, a wide-open layup that he missed at 145-141, and, and the target score was 157. And then he also had that unforced turnover where he, he tried to dribble it out on the break. LeBron sort of faked at him and he just lost it. And that was at 154, 153, a really huge moment in the game. And then also got blown by by LeBron to, to put the uh, team LeBron within one point of, of winning the, the game. Yeah, I think
2: with that moment where he lost the ball over the on the turnover, I think he expected to be getting a foul ball. And then LeBron, I guess, didn't complete his motion. And so it just went to a
1: turnover instead, and that was unfortunate for Kemba, obviously. Uh, but a great play from LeBron. Yeah, just uh, a little uh, uh, psychological maneuver there, faking at him and then pulling away. Of course, that, uh, that's definitely right up LeBron's wheelhouse. Uh, the The other thing that was was really impressive, of course. Team Giannis, you know, as as much as I uh, was was against a lot of his decisions in the draft because he he didn't get enough playmakers and enough uh, spacing. He did get a a front court with just a ton of athleticism and size with Embiid, Giannis, and and Siakam. And they really made things tough on Team LeBron inside. And, And Giannis had a couple of incredible plays. He had a block on LeBron as he was fading along the left baseline. And then One of the plays of the night, maybe the highlight of the night, was the block that he had on LeBron, as LeBron looked like he was going in for a wide-open layup, and the replay showed uh, it it was really close, uh, but uh, it looked like to me that Giannis just got it before it hit the backboard. As someone, as a Blazer fan, I am now uncomfortably close
2: to go ending calls. I don't like them anymore. (laughs) Uh, And that Giannis play was the closest I've ever seen. It was incredible.
1: Yeah, you know, there's uh, most of the time on those replays, you get pretty good visual evidence of the ball if it hits the backboard. There's that it takes a second, but there's that split second where the ball starts to go away from from the backboard, so that lets you know as a viewer that the ball actually hit. But this was just yeah, at that exact moment where it could have been a situation where the ball actually hit the backboard, but it didn't have enough time before Giannis got to it, to actually move and allow us to notice that it had. Yeah, I thought that the refs
2: handled it pretty well in, uh, in not in making it clean. I couldn't tell either way. I have no opinion. Um, but in that case, I figured that it was a good idea to let it go and call it and let them keep playing.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. The best case scenario there is just give the defender the, the benefit of the doubt. The offense gets the benefit of the doubt on so many situation in so many situations that uh, it's nice to see that the defense actually get a 50-50 call go their way. Uh, but, but yeah, the the again those uh, those team Giannis offensive struggles were evident in that fourth quarter. I believe they got outscored thirty three to twenty two in the final period the the lack of spacing the lack of shot creation was uh, was evident and you know they they resorted a lot to just going at as Giannis stated in the post game press conference going at the likes of James Harden and going at him in the post which is his defensive strength. That was what I was going to say. The idea that if you're going to attack Harden, the way to do that is to not post him up, but bring him on the perimeter
2: and have a perimeter guy go at him because he's in
1: the post. Yeah, he's just so strong. Uh, but but again, the lack of spacing, the lack of that elite uh, perimeter playmaker, in part because he didn't, Giannis didn't have Harden on his team. Uh, uh, the um, uh, yeah, they just didn't really have a lot of options. It ended up becoming one of the one of the more disappointing elements of that fourth quarter was that it got very foul heavy, and both teams kind of lived at the free throw line. It seemed to me, I, I, I guess I didn't actually look and, and count, but it seemed like the teams got into the bonus fairly early. It seemed like it, but I also don't know, because uh, they
2: didn't have a running clock in that quarter, right?
1: I don't know right. how
2: early and how long the quarter even ran. Yeah, and that's,
1: like for sure. yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing, too, is when you don't have a running clock, most of the time, you know, your, your foul limit is based on a 12-minute quarter. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to me the idea of oh, we're going to keep everything the same, but there's not actually a time, uh, you know, there's not an amount of time that all of these things are based on, uh, but, but yeah, one of the, the final sequences was, was interesting where uh, the, the play that, that uh, Anthony Davis got fouled at the end and then hit the second free throw to put the game away, it was a play that had a lot of things going on first off, Kyle Lowry unnecessarily switched onto, uh, onto the guy that Joel Embiid was covering, and uh, that left James Harden wide open off the inbound, and he went in. It looked like he had a layup, but he passed on it, and uh, the ball then was swung around. LeBron got it at the top, and then he recognized that, that Kyle Lowry was still on Anthony Davis and uh, was able to get it to him, and Lowry pulled him to the ground, but yeah, quite a, a crazy final possession there. It was... Crazy. I
2: In real time, when I was watching it, I was surprised that Harden didn't take that layup. It seemed to be very open. Going back and rewatching it, it was clear that he had three guys closing in on him, including a massive human being in Joel Embiid. Yes. Uh, and that any layup attempt would have probably gotten blocked. Uh, and so that the aware, aware, at least awareness or recognition of that from, uh, from Harden to find the open guy was impressive even in this kind of exhibition
1: format. Yeah, it, it also, though, shows kind of the the problem with the whole uh, the Houston sort of threes or layup system at times because in that situation, a two-pointer wins the game and he could have just pulled up for a wide-open 10-footer if he wanted, yeah. uh, but instead opted to try to get to the hoop. And and as you stated, that length and athleticism with, with Siakam, Giannis, and B just swallowed in him a up within a second or two of driving to the basket. Uh, but, but yeah, what a what a crazy sequence there. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the, the Kawhi Leonard ended up winning MVP. I believe he had 30 points, including eight from downtown. Did you think he was uh, uh, the deserving MVP of the game? Yeah, I had no choice with the pick. I
2: thought that, especially in the first half, he was playing incredible basketball. Uh, he shot very well. Like I said, eight, eight, eight three-pointers. Um, I thought that he obviously he's a great defensive player, and in the fourth quarter when it came down to playing defense, he uh, he looked pretty good. And so I I think that
1: was a good choice. Yeah, he had a he had a really good defensive play in, in a transition situation. LeBron actually fell down and Giannis had the ball, and, and LeBron was guarding Giannis, but Kawhi recognized LeBron got out of position and and was able to strip the ball from Giannis without committing a foul. He also had a, a lot of great plays. Uh, down the stretch of the fourth quarter, he had a uh, a pass where he drove in, drew a second defender, and kicked it out to Chris Paul for a corner three. He had another play where uh, he he drove into the paint and and drew Embiid and was able to pass it to Davis, who who got a, a reverse left-handed layup. And uh, then he also had a mid-range jumper that he that he hit going right along the right baseline. Then he, uh, again, drew, drew some help and, and kicked it out to LeBron for a wide-open three that, that LeBron missed, unfortunately. But Kawhi was great, and, and I thought part of the reason that uh, Team Giannis was was still in there down the stretch was because they kind of went away from him in the, in the last couple of possessions. Yeah, I think so, too. I have nothing to add to what
2: you said. I think that you were basically spot
1: on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, LeBron had the situation, of course, you know, I don't blame LeBron for going in for that layup that was blocked by Giannis, but then he, he also attempted a 35-foot-three, which was, was not the smartest of decisions. He, You know, that's one of those shots where he wants to be the hero, obviously. Uh, I can't blame him for that to win that money for the kids on that kind of shot would have been incredible. Yeah, uh, it's definitely one of those mo- that that would have been a moment for sure, and something people will remember. But uh, you know, in, in terms of analytics and in terms of just uh, you know being a smart, uh, making a smart basketball play, you know, there there would have been better decisions out there. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a great game. I mean, for me, that's the uh, that's the best All Star game that I have ever seen. How about you? I would agree. I haven't seen a game that competitive or intense down the stretch
2: uh, in a long time. Usually, you get Players competing more in the fourth quarter than the rest of the game, but in this one it seemed to be on their level, even
1: beyond that, and I loved it. Yeah, it was it was a heck of a lot of fun. Well, Sagar, was was there anything else about uh, about All Star Weekend in general you wanted to discuss before we move on to the uh, the race for eighth in the Western Conference? I think the All Star
2: game it ended on the uh, on the end of his free throw, right? Yes. Uh, I thought that that was a very anticlimactic finish to the game to what was in a very intense game. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know what the fix to that is because the idea of
1: just saying you can't end the game on a free throw has its own flaws, uh, but if there's something we could explore with that, I'd be interested in that just because I felt that a game that intense deserved a better ending. Right, and yeah, I almost wanted Davis to, you know, he, he of course missed the first free throw and everyone to... The crowd got really loud for that second one, but he calmly knocked it down. But I was, I was actually hoping he would miss it just so that we could uh, see a few more possessions. That's how fun it was. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, the, the fact that uh, we, we've left the All-Star game wanting more is, uh, is a good sign for the NBA. Yeah, I think that's a win for that. I think they're happy with that. So, so let's talk about the, uh, the race for the eighth seed in the Western Conference uh, it's a battle of, uh, in my mind, uh, four teams, even though you could, you could even make a case for, for five uh, and, and the Sacramento Kings being involved. But uh, I'm not as, as high on the Kings' chances. But uh, sitting currently in the eighth spot in the West is the Memphis Grizzlies at 28-26. and 26. In the ninth spot, of course, uh, Sager, uh, a, a, a big-time Blazers fan. The Trail Blazers sitting at 25-31, and 31, four games back overall, but five in the lost column. And uh, Portland has 26 games left on their season. In the 10th spot, the San Antonio Spurs sitting at 23-31. and 31. They are five games back. And the Pelicans in at 11 at 23-32 and 32 for five and a half games back. But Sager, I mean... Uh, I, I I know you've got to be disappointed, given that uh, Portland lost that game to Memphis heading into the All Star break, which uh, you know pushed them back. That was a key game; they could have been within two games. Instead, they're now four back. Uh, do you think this race is over, or do you still think most of these teams still have a shot at this? It feels over
2: just because you know the ninth seed, the Blazers, are 31 losses, five back in the loss call. And it's hard to make up five losses in less than 30 games. That's a, a tough task to me. Uh, at the same time, for Portland in particular, they
1: have Dave Millard, if he's healthy. I don't count him out of anything. Right, and I believe they have multiple games against the Grizz, is that correct? Yeah, they have two more. They play on, I believe, March 12th and April 5th. So yeah, I mean, that uh, that's important as well, that out of 26 games, that there's still two against the team that they're behind, so that gives them a chance, especially if they're able to win both of those, that puts them at only two games back, and and that gives them 24 games to catch up to, to the two games, so it, it seems possible, and, you know, Portland, uh, looking at the bright side of things, it doesn't seem to me that Lillard's injury is too serious, and... The injury came at basically the perfect time where he got a week off for during All-Star week. Yeah, I think that the MRI, they, they said that he'll be re
2: in a week, which I think for the type of injury he had with a soft tissue strain, uh, I think that that's pretty positive overall. Um, that could have been a lot worse. At the same time, I know those soft tissue injuries can linger for a while. They can be
1: easily re-aggravated. Uh, and so my hope is that he doesn't rush back quickly. Yeah, and that's a groin strain, correct? yes. Yeah, so that, that, uh, that can be a challenge. Um, but, but, yeah, it, it'll be important that they get him back soon. But they also have uh, you know, some other guys that are potentially making a return soon. Of course, Yusuf Nurkic, who's missed the whole season. He, he of course, had that uh, horrendous leg injury near the end of, of last season. But uh, there's talks that he's lined up to make a mid-February return. And then Zach Collins, another key injury and in, in why this team has maybe struggled a little bit, uh, he looks like he may be able to come back in March. Yeah, Nurkic, they, uh, they
2: brought him back to practice at the end of January. And in his first week back, he uh, suffered a calf strain, actually. And since then, he hasn't actually practiced, so we don't know what his timeline looks like. Uh, and then with Collins, he will be reevaluated early March, and hopefully at that point it's a positive prognosis and we can get it back soon. But that's no guarantee either.
1: Yeah, the, the Nurkic uh, additional setback is, is uh, pretty common when you're dealing with a, a really bad injury like he was suffering from. You know, you often will overcompensate in other areas of your body, but hopefully. Uh, you know he's uh, he's able to return to the court soon. I think he could be a, a, a valuable addition to the team, but uh, and and Collins as well. You know he was he was slated to be their starting four, and and unfortunately for uh, for you and most Blazers fans, they didn't really have a lot of options uh, heading into the season. If uh, for for the event that Collins did get hurt, yeah,
2: they went into the season incredibly thin in that position, and uh, a lot of what they wanted to do hinged on his uh, skill set as both a defensive uh, defensive presence as well as a solid playmaker and shooter. Um, and no other player on the roster could really fill that hole when he went down. Um, so it's been tough to, to compensate for that loss.
1: Yeah, so what, it, what are your expectations in terms of if Portland were to make the playoffs? You know, Memphis is two games over 500 right now. What sort of win mark do you expect the 8th seed to actually end up with?
2: About 100,
1: about 41 wins. Yeah.
2: That seems like the approximate mark that you have to get to. Uh, we'll see if that holds, but that's what it looks like to me at least.
1: Yeah, so that would mean Portland would have to go 16 and 10 in their final 26, which certainly is doable. And Portland has had a history in in previous seasons of of going on great runs, especially you know in the you know after uh, the the turn of the calendar year, uh, but. But, yeah, I wanted to get a few thoughts. You know, of course, Portland's obviously going to have to play well, but it also will be dependent in part to how these other teams play down the stretch. And Memphis, again, sitting at two games over 500 currently, locked in at that eighth spot. But they made a trade at the deadline. Uh, you know, they, they acquired a guy that I think they, they like for their future in Justice Winslow. But they did trade away a couple of rotation pieces in Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill. Yeah, I think that that. Reminds me a little bit of uh, last year
2: the trade deadline when Sacramento traded away Mon Schumpert to Houston. That trade kind of took the wind out of their sails. Not because Schumpert was an excellent basketball player. He was fine for them. But I think that his presence in the locker room was very stabilizing for them. And I almost wonder if the loss of Crowder and Hill has a similar effect on Memphis.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're a very young team. They don't have a ton of veterans on that roster now. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I personally thought it did hurt them a little bit, uh, in the present, but, uh, you know, obviously Winslow could come back at some point and, and, and give them a boost. They weren't getting anything from, from Andre Iguodala, which was the key piece in that deal. Uh, but, uh, yeah, a couple of the other teams, uh, of course, the Spurs sitting in that 10 spot five games back of Memphis. Is there any, uh, is there any Greg Popovich magic left?
2: You never want to say never with the Spurs; they're never out of it. You'd think, uh, but if there's a year to try and call for the end to their dynasty, this year seems to be the year.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's it's one thing if like the likes of Aldridge and DeRozan were playing incredibly poorly to think, okay, well, if those guys turn it around, the Spurs might play better. But those guys have actually played pretty well this season.
2: Yeah, I think Aldridge, actually after he uh, he started taking three pointers. Yep, these uh, are come a lot more
1: effective. for them. Yeah, so uh, I I'm with you. I uh, I'm not counting them out because of uh, the the track record. But uh, yeah, I think out of these four teams, I would give them the, the worst chance. Uh, I uh, the, the the final team sitting in the eleventh spot, the Pelicans at 23 and 32. They're five and a half games back. Of course, that's a uh, you know a big number as you said to overcome in, in such a short period of time. You know, there's basically about a, a third left in the season or a little less than that. But they do have Zion Williamson back, uh, and, you know, he obviously helps them, especially on the offensive end. Do you think Zion could have some crazy stretch and, and get this team back into the playoffs and continue J.J. Redick's playoff streak? I think it's certainly
2: possible. I haven't watched enough of Zion in college or high school to know uh, just how skilled he is. Obviously, he's a very good player, very good prospect. Uh, I'm curious to see how he fits in with the rest of his teammates over the course of the, course of the rest of the season and see how it goes. I think that helps for the Pelicans that they have the easiest schedule up in the NBA.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I actually got to see Zion. I went to uh, the Cavs Pelicans game a, a few weeks back and got to see him in person, and he is very impressive, especially in the offensive end. But I left pretty underwhelmed in terms of his defensive effort and uh, IQ out there. Of course, he's still a young guy. He can improve uh, in, in both of those areas. But, uh, you know, the, the the downside to this idea that Zion could could really boost this Pelicans team back into the, the playoff picture is that, you know, he's played 10 games, and they're just 5-5 five and five with him. Right. And I think that. Just to him, it would be unfair to him
0: to try and put all that pressure on him to make the playoffs as a rookie. Uh, obviously, if he
2: gets to that point and he can push them there with the help of his teammates, that would be incredible for guys like him to do. But I think to expect it, like I
1: think many people are, it seems like a lot to ask for. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Sagar, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm, I'm going to have have you make your prediction. Which of those four teams is uh, – or if uh, if – If you disagree with me and think Sacramento's in there, which of the five teams is going to end up with that eighth spot in the West? As a Blazers
2: fan, it pains me to say this, but I think it's going to stay in Memphis.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I think in part, you know, if the Blazers were fully healthy, I think uh, I could definitely, I would probably predict them to to make up that gap. But the injuries they're still dealing with, as you said, Nurkic's return is, is still up in the air. Uh, you know, Collins is still a ways off, and, and yeah, the, the the issue with the, the groin injury for Lillard, if you bring him back too soon, he could re-injure it, and that's a, a way bigger issue. So yeah, it, it might be a little bit too much to overcome, but it'll certainly be fascinating to watch down the stretch. Sager, thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time. Thanks for right. having me. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can, uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that, uh, that really helps a lot. If, uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or, uh, or ideas for, uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g dash at onu dot edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or
0: ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Boy, boy prohibited by law. ET plus terms See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for.